Well, dear congregation, many of you may have played with swords before. Now, probably not the real metal kind, which is likely to hurt someone, but perhaps you made swords out of wood. Or as children, you, you and your brother or a friend, you found some sticks laying on the ground and you had a pretend sword fight. Well, this morning, you want to read about a sword that God gives us. As you think about this weapon, you may have wished that God would have given you something else. Today, in our context, you might want a machine gun or an F-35 fighter plane. And yet, as we think about this sword that God has given us, this picture that we have in God's Word, we will see how these, these the machine gun or fighter jets, they're missing something. Obviously, they weren't around in the days in which Paul was writing, and yet even today, they're a poor picture of what we see here. On the sermon this morning, and Lord willing, this afternoon, we want to deal with the last piece of armor that we have here in Ephesians chapter 6. Before looking at these, these pieces of spiritual armor and, and prayer as it fits in with spiritual warfare, we need to go back and to make sure we understand the context in which we have these verses. Paul, as he writes this letter, he begins in the first three chapters of Ephesians to show us what the riches a believer has in Jesus Christ, of the spiritual blessings that we have received. And in chapters 4 through 6, Paul begins to build on that, saying, if, if you have this in Christ, and that's going to change the way that you live. In chapters 4 through 6, Paul is focusing on how a believer should live because they have been made spiritually alive. How we should live as believers who are no longer enemies of God, but now have been reconciled to Him. We are called to walk in unity and in love with one another. And Paul in chapters. In the beginning of chapter 6, he gives particular attention to the relations between a husband and a wife, between parents and children, and employers and employees. This call to walk in unity and love is something that we often struggle with. This is true, it can be true in family life, in the homes, it can be true in the, in the workplace or in the broader community. Not only do we struggle with this because of the remaining sin and, and pride in our own hearts, but also because of the, the evil influences around us. And here, especially in this context in chapter 6, Paul is speaking about the attacks of Satan and how we're being called to live in this way, how Satan is going to come and try to, to hinder us, to stop us. See this especially in verse 11. We're told there to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles here means his tricks, his plans, his deception. Satan is going to come. Satan is continually attacking. We be on guard. Paul goes on to highlight this in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in the high places. This battle that we are engaged in, especially this battle that we are in against Satan, this is a battle that we, we face an opponent who now has more than 6,000 years of experience. 
We come against an enemy who has experience, who has wisdom. He knows how best to attack us. He learns from our weaknesses. And he comes with a whole army of demons, of evil spirits, as he seeks to, to, to hinder the work of Christ. As we consider this, and if we know something of, of our own weaknesses, if we know something of our own proneness to, to stumble and to fall, we might be asking ourselves, how in the world can I resist Satan? How can I resist such a powerful and fierce opponent? One who can come from all kinds of angles at, a, at every time, any moment in the day. Well, here it's so important to see how Paul begins this section. In verse 10 he says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And the words there, be strong, he says a command. We're commanded to be strong, but not to, make our, not to make ourselves strong. We are to be strong by looking to Christ, by going to Him, by receiving His strength, by being enabled by His power, so that with the Lord's help, you'll be able to stand against Satan. Not only do we receive strength from the Lord, but He also gives us armor, spiritual armor that we are to use, that we are to, to wear and to use in our day-to-day -day walk in this world. Verses 10 to 13, really we have the big picture there. We're being told this is the situation. This is who you're up against. This is where you get your help from. This is what you need to wear. In verses 14 through 16, Paul is now going on to give us particular pieces of spiritual armor. Verse 14 begins with a command, stand therefore. How can you stand? Stand having your waist girt about with truth. Stand having put on that breastplate of righteousness. Stand with those gospel shoes, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. As you get to our text in verse 17, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our theme this morning is, is this, stand, taking the sword of the Spirit. Let's consider this in three thoughts. First, how, what is this sword? Second, how we are to use it. And third, what I'm calling a New Year checkup. So what is this sword? How should we use it? And we end with a New Year checkup. So we begin then with what is this sword? In Greek, there are two main words for sword. And the word that we have here is refer referring to the short sword. The sword, short sword that was used by the Roman foot soldiers in the day of Paul. There's another sword that is longer. It's like a three-foot sword that was used by uh, soldiers who rode on horses in this time. But as you think about the Roman army in the, the context in which Paul is writing, the sword is not the only weapon that the soldiers had. They also had this spear that they would throw, or a bow and arrow. So why does the Holy Spirit, through Paul, give us this one weapon and he gives us a sword? Why not the spear of God's word, or the arrows of God's word? A practical reason is that once you have thrown your sword, once you have shot your arrows, they are gone. 
You're left there now without your weapon. But a sword is different. A sword is something that you hold on to, that you keep close to you. The same is true as of God's word as we use it here in this context. We have a sword, something that we keep on us, that we keep on using. But another reason that the Holy Spirit may have used this imagery of a sword is to remind us of the kind of fight that we're involved with. This is not a fight where we can hide in the bushes and shoot from a safe distance. This is not a fight where we can stay, stay away from the front lines and just simply throw a few spears. The fight that believers are in is hand-to-hand battle. You have a short sword, and it's with that sword that you're attacking Satan who's coming towards you. That shows you how close he is, how personal this fight is between you and the enemy. Paul used the imagery earlier here of wrestling, how you wrestle with Satan. You don't wrestle at a distance. When you wrestle, you're, you're close. It's, it's face to face, hand to hand. And that is the kind of struggle that believers are in as we go through this life. Satan comes and attacks. And a lot of us here know that by experience. The temptations that come into our heart and in our mind. The times in which we have opportunities to sin and, and Satan seems to be leading us in that way. Well, God has given us this weapon, a sword. Well, the sword that we have is a spiritual sword. This is also true of the other pieces of armor. Christians are not called to walk around with a physical sword in our hand or a, a sword strapped to our side. This is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's see first how it is the Word of God and then come back to how it's the sword of the Spirit. If you study the whole armor of God, there are some key references back in Isaiah. And Isaiah describes the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who has worn this armor before us. That Jesus was going to come into this world and, and wear this armor and use this armor. He was going to earn this armor for us to wear today. A key passage there is Isaiah 59, verse 17. And we read there, Isaiah prophesies of Christ. For he will put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Well, when it comes to the sword and the word of God, we have two passages from Isaiah. The first is Isaiah 11, verse 4. And we read there how Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would come, with, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. So why doesn't directly to speak of a sword here, we see how judgment and destruction are coming from the mouth of Christ. How it's with his mouth that he was going to punish the wicked. A more explicit passage is in Isaiah 49. And in this passage, we, we have a conversation between Christ and the Father, an eternity past. In this, we can read how Jesus is told that he will be given as a light to the Gentiles and as the Lord's salvation to the ends of the earth. But in verse 2 of that chapter, 
Jesus tells us how he, the Father, has made my mouth like a sharp sword. We can see more of this imagery in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation. There's at least four examples, but I'll just mention two of them. Revelation 2, verse 16, we have this warning. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So again, this is Christ speaking. In Revelation 19, we have this description of Jesus. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. Now children, while both Isaiah and John are using this this descriptive language of the Lord Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth. This is not a literal sword, a physical sword. But this sword is describing the words of Jesus. The words of Christ that he would use both in judgment and destruction against the wicked, against those who refuse to bow before him, those who continue to resist him. But also we can think of how Jesus uses this sword to protect and to defend his people. How Jesus uses his words to cut away things that are harmful. So we have this sword, the sword that is the word of God, the word that God has given us. This is where we come back to the description that this sword is the sword of the Spirit. It's especially the work of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit to give us God's Word. It was the Holy Spirit who, who inspired the Old Testament writers and the New Testament writers to record God's Word. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, we're told, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Literally, it's God-breathed. Again, we have that picture of God's Word coming out of His mouth. In 2 Peter 1, verse 21, we, we learn more of how God gave us this word. We read, therefore, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But especially the Holy Spirit's work to give us God's word, to give us the Bible. It's the Spirit, the word of the Spirit. Well, we can summarize this first point by saying that the sword we are to use in our spiritual battles, it is the Word of God given to us by the Holy Spirit. Well, how then do we use this sword? How can you use God's Word today and in this week as you face Satan, as you face temptation? That brings us to our second point. How do we use it? Before we get to specific examples, we need to make sure we have some, some clear principles in our mind. First of all, you cannot use the sword of the Spirit if you do not know it. Again, this might seem obvious, but how can you use a sword if you do not have it in your hand? If you don't know your Bibles, if you're not studying it, you're not going to be equipped to use this sword in battle. Verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. 
This taking applies both to the helmet and to the sword. So God is calling us to take His Word, to read His Word, to study it. If you have opportunity and time to, to join the, the Bible studies, the music that you listen to, this is this good Christian music by which your mind is being filled with the Word of God. Can you imagine going into battle without your main fighting weapon? Can you picture this Roman army as they're facing the Gauls, leaving their swords behind in the tents? Or if you think of World War II and the soldiers are storming the beach of Normandy, but they've left their rifle behind. Who would think, what foolishness. But how many of us are going into our daily battles, our daily struggles, without turning to God's Word? How many of us are neglecting this sword of the Spirit, this main weapon that God has given to us, that we would use it to fight. So we need to know God's Word. The second principle is that we need to believe God's Word. Here we come back to this sword being the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit not only gives us God's Word, it's also the work of the Holy Spirit to help us to believe God's Word. It's not enough for us to know Bible verses in our head. We need to believe it in our hearts. God's Word needs to lead us to, to come to bow before Christ, to cling to Him. It's the work of the Spirit to convict us so that we personally experience the wickedness of sin. That we come to see that our hearts are broken, that our hearts are wicked, that it's out of our hearts that all kinds of sin come forth. It's the work of the Spirit to convince us that we are unable to save ourselves. And the Spirit then leads us to Christ, shows us Christ as the only Savior, the only way by which we can be saved, the only way that we can be made right with a holy and a just God. The Spirit leads us through God's Word. So that you may come to know that your sins have been forgiven. So that you may come to know that, that this salvation is not just for others, but also for someone like you. As God calls you, as God commands you to come, as He invites you to come through His Word. So we need to know it, we need to believe it. But also we need to be careful how we use it. But children, maybe sometimes you help your parents set the table. If your parents hand you a sharp knife to carry, to carry to the table, they warn you, don't they? Be careful. It's sharp. A sharp knife is a great tool. It can also do a lot of damage. You can easily hurt yourself. And the same is true of the sword of the Spirit. It is a great weapon. But like every weapon, it can be misused. It can be used wrongly and cause great damage, cause great pain. God's Word can be taken out of context. It can be twisted to mean something completely different. simple example is Exodus 20 verse 13. Thou shalt not kill. This doesn't mean we cannot ever kill someone. 
There are times in which we see just war and are called to protect and to preserve. The same book that says, Thou shalt not kill, also says that there are times in which there is capital punishment when we are commanded to kill. So we need to make sure that we look at God's word and see it in context. There's also times, isn't there, where we can have a right understanding of God's word and even in a sense be using it rightly, but be doing it with the wrong motives. You might go to someone with, as you see them sinning and say, well, God's word says, do not steal. But when we go to them, we don't go with humility. It's, it's possible to use God's word as a sword and to come with them with, a, with pride, saying, well, look at what you're doing wrong. I've never done that. Or to come to someone to, to convict them of sin and, instead of, and to come with a desire to punish them the desire to see them suffer instead of a desire to see repentance and restoration. A fourth and last <clears throat> principle here is that we, we need to be careful that we do not neglect God's word. We need to get into the habit of asking ourselves, what does God's word have to say on this issue, in this situation? In this temptation, it can be so easy to rely on our, our emotions and our feelings and to think, well, I, I, this feels right, or I think this is right, or this is what I want to do. But we always need to come back and ask ourselves, what is God telling us through His Word? How does God want us to respond in this situation? Well, to use God's Word, we need to know it, we need to believe it, we need to be careful we don't misuse it. Let's go on to see how we can use this sword in this spiritual battle. First of all, as we are in this battle against Satan. That's the main context in which we find this, this command or these instructions. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This is one of the reasons that God has given us his word. His word as a sword that we can use and attack Satan with. When Satan comes and tempts us to sin, to get angry because we have to wait, to engage in some lust-filled daydreaming after we see someone attractive, to become jealous because you see someone else having what you want, to tell a little lie because the truth is embarrassing, because you do not want to face the consequences. So the count, when Satan comes and tempts us to just stay home from church because you're tired. It's been a long week. When Satan tempts us just to skip our Bible reading and our prayer because we have so many things to do today. In all these ways, Satan can come and he can tempt us to sin against God. But each of these temptations... They can be answered with the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments that call us to worship God and Him above all. The Ten Commandments which, which forbid, that prohibit us from sinning. So we can use the Ten Commandments as a sword. We can also use some of these vivid warnings in Proverbs that expose the lies of Satan. In a sense, Proverbs can be so helpful for us. Think of Proverbs 6, verse 32. 
Whoso commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Do you want to destroy your own soul? Or Proverbs 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are His delight. When you're tempted to lie, think about that. Do you want to delight the Lord or be an abomination to the Lord? Proverbs 26, verse 20. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tillbearer or no gossiper, strife ceases. Are we going to throw more gossip onto this fire? Or are we going to stop talking behind people's backs? Do you see how these verses in Proverbs, they give us these vivid pictures as warnings to keep us from sin. Another way that we can use this sword against Satan is to think of the promises of God. Here an example from Pilgrim's Progress. And here Christian is going through this journey and he's, he's facing Apollyon, that great dragon. He's using that shield and the sword, but the sword has been knocked out of his hand and the dragon's coming in to kill him. And when Bunyan goes on to write, then Christian nimbly stretched out his hand for the sword and caught it, saying, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. From Micah 7. And with that, he gave him a deadly thrust, which made him give back as one that had received his mortal wound. Christian, perceiving that, made at him again, saying, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And with that, Apollyon spread forth his dragon wings and sped away. And Christian, for a season, saw him no more. So when we face temptation, when we face the attacks of Satan, go back to the promises. Remind ourselves of what God has told us, if, of what we are by grace if we are in Christ, and use that to fight against Him. Well, the greatest example of all of how to deal with Satan's attacks is in Jesus Christ Himself. You think back to his earthly ministry, how Satan came to him in the wilderness and how he was there for those 40 days. We have there especially those three temptations in which Christ was tempted to, to sin, to doubt his father. And in each of these temptations, what does Jesus do? He says to Satan, it is written. And he goes back to the Bible and he, he quotes a particular verse which, again, exposes Satan's lie. So now if the sinless Son of God, if he uses God's word as a sword against Satan, will we not do the same? Will we not follow in his example as he uses the sword? Or we can use the sword of the Spirit as we fight against Satan. We can also use this sword as we deal with ourselves. It's a pastor named Ian Duguide, and he wrote a book about the whole armor of God. And here he changes the imagery a little bit. First he spoke of using the sword against Satan. Then he, he goes on to, to, to explain this by saying we can use the garden shears of the Spirit. And his point there being, also in connection with John 15, as you think of that vine that is growing, and how God uses, how he, God prunes the vine so that it brings forth more fruit. 
Here's we think of our own lives. There's many times which, in which different priorities and desires can take over. When you can look at our lives and see how all this, this extra growth that is unhelpful, how it's, how it's hindering us from, keeping, from bearing fruit for God. Here we can take God's word and we can cut away those, those unnecessary things, those things that hinder us. He goes on then to, to change the picture again and speaks of the scalpel of the Spirit. And children, a scalpel is a very sharp knife used by doctors to, to cut someone open to do surgery. And his point here is that God's Word is like a sharp knife. We have that, we have that in Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division asunder, so the, the splitting apart of soul and body, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So we can use God's word to do heart surgery. This especially is necessary if we think of someone who has never come to Christ. How God needs to come with his word to open them up to expose the wickedness, the unbelief, the perversion that lives in their hearts. Isn't it true that even for those of us who have come to Christ, there's this ongoing need for heart surgery. There's still so often so much sin that lives in our hearts. Things that need to be cut away. This cancer needs to be removed by God's word and through as God applies it to us by His Spirit. So we're to use this sword against Satan. We're to use this sword as we deal with our own hearts and our lives. And the third and last that we can use this sword of the Spirit is in gospel advance. All Christians are part of the family of God. But all Christians are also part of the army of God. There's no such thing as a Christian civilian or a, a Christian who has, who has retired from battle. As long as we live in this life, we're engaged in spiritual warfare. And God has given us different gifts and abilities and opportunities to share His Word for the advancement of the gospel into this world. Isn't it amazing that God would use people like us to share his word so that the gospel will reach every tribe, tongue, and nation. A few weeks ago in my catechism class in Calgary, we were talking about miracles. In the New Testament, we often see Jesus Christ and the disciples using miracles as confirming signs or as demonstrations of God's power. And the question came up, why don't we have miracles today? Wouldn't our evangelism, our mission work, be more effective if we could heal someone? If we could restore the sight, if we could heal some cancer or, or help someone who's paralyzed? It's a good question, isn't it? Maybe sometimes we, we wish that we were able to do something spectacular to, to show God's word or to, to prove the truth of it. I hear another pastor commenting on this passage wrote this. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. 
because it is the great weapon the Spirit uses to advance God's kingdom in this world and plunder and despoil the kingdom of Satan. God's word, read, preached, and lived, is the principal ordinary means God uses to convince, convict, and persuade sinners of the truth of the gospel. God has given us his word. His word that is a sword. A word that is the sword of the spirit that he's so often pleased to bless as we can see the gospel going through this world. And that many of us have experienced in our own hearts and in our own lives. So as you think about using God's word, have confidence in it. This is the weapon that God has used to fight against sin and against Satan. It's also the means that God has given to us to advance His kingdom in, in, into the kingdom of darkness. Well, so far we spent some time looking at what this sword is, how we should use it. Let's go on to our third thought to, to spend a few moments doing what I'm calling a New Year checkup. A few days ago was, was New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. It's often a time in which we have hopefully some time for reflection. Some time of looking back and considering how have I done? The time in which we look ahead and we, we think how would I like to do better? Well, I want to ask you that. As you think about God's Word, God's Word being a sword that has been given to you, how have you done? How have you used God's Word as you were tempted to sin? How have you used God's word as you see sin living in your own hearts? How have you used God's word as you seek to advance Christ's kingdom in this world? In the year that lies behind us, has there been an increase in your understanding and in your appreciation of God's word? To use the structure of the catechism, do you come into this new year with a greater understanding of your misery without Christ? Have you come to appreciate more the deliverance that is found in Christ? Has God's word led you to greater thankfulness, greater appreciation for all that Christ has done? So how have you done? But also we can ask ourselves, if you look back at the year behind us, what would you have liked to do differently? What regrets do you have as you think about last year and how you could have used God's word better? Here again, we can go through all the same questions, but I'll leave that for you to do. As you look back at last year, there are likely many areas in which we failed. Times in which we failed completely to use God's Word, or times in which we certainly could have done better in using God's Word. There's so many times even as we think about using God's Word that we sinned. And again, this is an opportunity, isn't it, for us to go back to Christ, to confess to Him, Lord, you have given me this sword, but I've misused it, I've neglected it. I've so often forgotten about it. 
part of the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ also died and suffered and died to, to cover the sin of neglecting his word. And then all these failures that we see in the year behind us and already now in this, this new year that we're in, we can take them back to the Lord in prayer. We can confess, Lord, I have I've come so far short. Lord, help me. But also that should impact the way that we want to live in this year. So what realistic practical goals can you set for this year? I want to emphasize the realistic, practical aspects. If you've not spent much time in memorizing God's Word, don't start off this year saying, I'm going to memorize all of Matthew or the whole letter of Paul's letter to Romans. If you do that, you're likely setting yourself up for failure. So be realistic. What can you memorize in this year? What parts of God's word can you take and learn and, and treasure in your heart? But also be practical. All the lists of names and numbers in Ezra chapter 2 as it describes the exiles coming back to Jerusalem. So while that is part of God's word, while that shows God's faithfulness in his care, is that the best passage for you to memorize? Is that going to be the most helpful for you to grow spiritually as you fight against Satan. I encourage you in this week to take some time to, to look at yourself and, and ask yourself, where do you struggle? Are you someone who's quickly discouraged or pessimistic? Memorize some of God's promises. Promises that give you hope and encouragement. Are there particular sins that you're struggling with in, in this year past and in this year? To anger, gossip, lust, greed. Go to Proverbs. Look at some of those vivid pictures. And next time that you're tempted to go down that road, remind yourself of the consequences of sin. And all of us can easily forget different aspects of God. We can forget about His holiness and His justice. We can at times think little of His mercy and His love. Look up some verses that, that speak specifically about who God is, about His love and His mercy and compassion, but also of His holiness, His justice, His power. Memorize these verses and, and seek to grow in your knowledge of God and, and of His Word. Well, dear congregation, God has given us a complete armor. Armor that we are to wear. Armor that we are to use. And part of this armor that we're supposed to use is the whole, is the, is the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. As we can be discouraged, as we can even despair as we look behind us and look ahead of us, remember how this passage begins. In verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. God does not leave us to figure this out on ourselves. God does not say, here are the weapons, you learn how to use them. It's by looking to Him, by resting in Him, 
by going back to Him again and again, that we have the strength and the ability to, to follow after Him. As we begin a new year, may we love God's Word. May we use God's Word in, in our day-to-day -day interactions. Maybe above all, trust in this gracious God who has revealed himself to us in his word, but especially in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father who is in heaven, Lord, we come unto you again in this, after, in this morning. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word in which you reveal yourself. Your word in which you have shown us and taught us who we are by nature. Your word that shows us the only way in which we can be saved. And Lord, we pray that each one of us here may come to know these things. And above all, that we may come to trust in you alone. Lord, we also thank you that you have given us your word as a sword. A sword that we are to use in our daily warfare against sin and against Satan. Lord, we confess that we so often fail to use this. Lord, how often we find ourselves going back into old sins and, and struggling with sin and then realizing that we have not even used the weapon that you have given us the means that you have given us to, to help us. We pray that you, would, that you would strengthen us, that you'd help us to continually look unto you for strength and help. We look unto you for wisdom and for guidance. Lord, that you would greatly pour out your Spirit and also by your Spirit lead us and teach us in the way that we are to use your word. Lord, we need your help, and we look unto you. We ask that you would continue to bless us as we continue to worship you with our songs of praise. Or please forgive all that was sinful, all that was amiss. We ask all these things for Christ's sake alone. Amen. Congregation, let us sing in response to 407, especially stanzas 3 and